The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you for joining me for another episode of My Story, Living with Lupus Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this Friday, November the 7th, 2020. Today's episode is all about flipping the script on novel cancer therapy leads to insights into lupus. Also, inflammation ties together poor diet, higher CVD risks, and newly legal edible cannabis sparks more ED visits. That's right. So, you know what I want you to do. That's right. All the way from the United States to Quebec. Go ahead and get ready to grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, and to my listeners late at night. Now, you know I appreciate you. So go ahead and grab your favorite glass of wine and join the conversation right here on my story living with lupus podcast all right flipping the script on novel cancer therapy leads to insights into lupus Here's the full story. This story is provided by Science Daily. In the last decade, scientists discovered that blocking a key regulator of the immune system helped unleash the body's natural defenses against several forms of cancer, opening up a new era of cancer immunotherapy. Now, Yale scientists have essentially flipped this script and found that when impaired, a molecularly similar regulator can cause the damaging immune system attacks on skin and organs that are the hallmark of the autoimmune disease lupus. They reported December the 11th in the journal 
Science and Translational Medicine. It further states that the study results help explain the origins of lupus and suggest novel ways researchers might be able to restore function of this inhibitor and provide much needed new therapy to treat the disease, scientists stated. Now, we know that the immune system has a series of regulators designed to prevent it from attacking tissues in its host, a system that goes away in autoimmune diseases. Yale researchers found that mice lacking an immune system inhibitor called programmed death one homolog or PD1H spontaneously developed symptoms that resemble two forms. Chen said his findings suggest that in people with lupus, the function of PD1H is critical. When it is impaired, they are vulnerable to the immune system attacks on skin and multiple organs that are the hallmark of the disease. Lupus patients currently have very limited options for treatment, but the new findings suggest a novel approach called protein fusion might mimic PD-1H and help control the immune system and combat the disease. Now, you know what? And I have been wondering, I said this, um, well, I used to say it all the time. You know, when we are born and they take the child from the mother, put it in the incubator and roll the child off to the nursery. What is being done to that child in that nursery at that time? And the reason why I'm stating this is I know for a fact that my lupus is hereditary. But just wonder, now this is how my mind works. Um, and before I say this, let me put this disclaimer out. My opinions, the views and opinions of this show reflects my personal experience, okay? Um, no one else's but mine. But just wonder if once your child is rushed away to that nursery, we don't know what is going on in that nursery. If they're 
injecting a newborn child with something. Now, this is the way my mind thinks. Um, for as many people, 5 million worldwide who have this illness, and they say it's environmental. Mm-hmm. Sure, mine is hereditary, but what are they doing with the kids when um, they rush them to the nursery? Are they injecting them with something to see how it will react in the long run? You know, I know when after I had my daughter and... Um, they took her down to the nursery. They rolled me back to the room. You know, I got out of that bed. I went down to that nursery and they asked me, um, what are you doing out of bed? I said, because I want to make sure you're not doing anything to my daughter that I did not authorize. And, you know, of course, they're going to say, oh, no, no, we wouldn't do that. Now, I'm not saying that they would, but this is how my mind works. I want to know, you know, what are what are you guys really doing? And I used to tell my mother that. I said, did you ever think, Mama, that when they took me down to the nursery that they were doing something they should not have been doing or giving me something they should not have been giving me. And my mother said, you made a good point there. But she said, yours is hereditary, but you bring up a very good point. She said, we don't know what they're doing with our babies once they take them down to the nursery. She said, we pray that they're not injecting babies with anything, but she said, you never know. Um, like I said, that, that is just, just something that I, I think about and don't say it's a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory, but yeah, I got out of my bed and that, what was it? The next morning, I nearly hemorrhaged to death um, because I got up too quickly. But I wanted to see, uh, what are you doing with my daughter? So when we return, we will be talking about inflammation, ties together, poor diet, higher CVD risk. So stay with. The Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness, giving hope and empowering those who suffer with chronic illness. See one, reach one, educate one to empower the masses. You can contact the foundation at 313 
303-923-9217 or visit their website at https colon forward slash forward slash cemphfoundation.com This is a 501c3 organization. No one should live in lack. All contributions are tax deductible. Thank you for joining me back. Now I'm getting ready to talk about inflammation ties together with poor diet weight before you say anything. We know that processed foods such as McDonald's, Burger King, Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, Church's Chicken, processed meats, period, pizza, hot dogs are no good for us. Um, do you want to spend the rest of your life on medication or do you want to spend the rest of your life enjoying your life, not worrying about, oh, I have to take my high blood pressure pill or my cholesterol pill right now. So let's talk about it. Now, we, we, you know, we've all heard what the doctors say, change your diet, change your diet, change your diet. And it's true, change your diet. Now, a diet filled with processed meats, sweet drinks, the ones that we all so like so much, and other pro-inflammatory foods was associated with cardiovascular disease, better known as CVD. Risk researchers found from a pooled analysis of three large cohorts. Now, people eating the most pro-inflammatory diets had increased cardiovascular risk over more than 20 years compared with those who ate more anti-inflammatory foods. And these foods are leafy green vegetables, drinking tea, and consuming whole grains. Now, you know, in the African-American community, we are in greater risk for diabetes, cardiovascular disease, coronary heart disease, stroke, and um, I said diabetes, Cerebral vascular disease, okay? The association between empirical 
dietary inflammatory pattern, better known as EDIP, SCORE, and CVD. Risk was consistent across the three cohorts and between sexes reported Frank Hugh, MD, PhD, of Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School and colleagues in the November 11th issue of the Journal of American College of Cardiology, better known as JACC. In sensitivity analysis, the associations between EDIP and CVD risk remained robust when we further adjusted for alcohol consumption, packed years of smoking, lipid lowering, or antihypertensive medications, or sodium intake and blood pressures, the authors added. Now, the results also remain significant after further adjustments for other dietary quality indices, namely the alternate health healthy eating index, better known as A-H-E-I, dietary approaches to stop hypertension, which is the DASH diet, and alternate Mediterranean diet score, better known as A-M-E-D, AMED. Now, Taken together, the findings suggest that the modulation of systemic, vascular, and metabolic inflammation could be an important mechanism underlying association between dietary patterns and CVD risk. Studies participants were... 74,578 women from the Nurses Health Study, better known as NHS, and 91,656 women from the NHS 2 and 43,911 men from the health professionals follow-up study who were free of CVD and cancer at baseline or, well, I shouldn't say or, for a total of more than 5.2 million person years a follow-up. All completed food frequency questionnaires every four years, 
to assess diet, the inflammatory potential of which was assessed according to the EDIP, EDIP score, assuming certain plasma levels. Also, a person's EDIP score was average cumulatively over the years. Now, I know you may be saying in times such as this, it's hard to purchase the right things to eat. You know what's right and you know which foods are bad, but if you would just swap out one meal a week, just say a meatless Monday and try eating plant-based foods or incorporating heart-healthy foods um, and foods with, well, which is rich in omega-3, which would be your salmon, is a step and incorporate some fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, hold up. I know some of you are saying that's easier said than done because in most communities, you don't have the quality neighborhood grocery stores that you can go to. And transportation may be an issue for some. But if you would try to just go where you can find a local um, Whole Foods or local Trader Joe's just to try things out or see what's available in your neighborhood supermarket. And if that neighborhood supermarket doesn't have what you want, talk to the owner of the supermarket or the manager and say, hey, you're in our community. Why not? Why can't you bring in fresh fruits and vegetables for us to try? When we return, we'll finish up with inflammation ties together with poor diet. So stick with me. I'll be right back. If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus. And I'm Now, to finish up with this study, a large pool analysis had potential for residual confining and 
relied on people self-reporting their dietary habits. The authors acknowledged that another limitation was the inclusion of mostly white health professionals. So I would think that the findings could be a little skewed because it it you really don't have a how can I put this um a cross mixture of individuals from different socioeconomic backgrounds and so forth now future studies are warranted to replicate the findings to confirm the casual relationship and to examine the detailed inflammatory mechanisms through which diet-specific foods are associated with CVD risk. There is clearly a need for RCTs, randomized controlled trials to confirm a casual relationship between anti-inflammatory foods and diets and protection from CVD, according to an accompanying editorial from a trio led by Ramon Estrich, MD, PhD, of Hospital Clinic in Barcelona, Spain. Hugh and colleagues assigned higher EDIP, EDIP scores to pro-inflammatory diets containing more red meat, processed meat, sweetened beverages, and refined carbohydrates, among other food items. In contrast, anti-inflammatory diets were characterized by more green leafy vegetables, kale, spinach, cabbage, watercress, romaine lettuce, Swiss chard. You know, I love me some Swiss chard. I like arugula also, endives, dark yellow vegetables, pumpkin, yellow peppers, beans, and carrots, fruits, tea, whole grain, and guess what else? Wine. That's right. Wine. A separate study in the same issue of JACC found that walnuts also reduce inflammatory biomarkers, according to a group led by Kofan, PhD, also of Barcelona's Hospital Clinic. Now, older people, random thighs to a diet with walnuts had better reductions in 
six out of 10 inflammatory biomarkers between baseline and two years compared with a walnut-free controls group. Now, no differences between groups emerged. The study included 634 healthy elders, mean age 69 years, who had been randomized to a controlled diet with or without walnuts, 30 to 60 grams daily. The two study arms shared similar patients' characteristics with two-thirds of participants being women. Ultimately, they suggested that anti-inflammatory foods may also have protective effects and other highly prevalent chronic diseases in which chronic inflammation plays a relevant role, namely diabetes, cancer, depression, cognitive decline, and Alzheimer's. So it is true that what you put into your body is what you will ultimately get out. If you put bad things in, you will pay for it in the long run. And and I hate to, to continuously use myself as an example, but I have to. You will feel better. You will change your diet. Start eating foods that are grown from out of the ground. You know, one reason why, besides, one reason why, let me put it this way, one reason why I stop eating meats besides um, giving the meats giving me um, um, problems with my stomach, my digestive system, is because, and you may think this is weird, I feel that animals all have souls. They have little souls, and I cannot see myself eating what I used to eat you know, before the problems occurred with my stomach. I can't, I can't, mm -mm. I can't even think about eating meat. I, I just can't because the first thing I think about is that the animal has a soul and I'm consuming a soul. It's weird. It's weird, but that's how I think. Now, for all of my people who indulge in edibles, I'm not talking about the edible fruits that you get delivered 
I'm talking about newly legal edible cannabis, which sparks more emergency room visits with seniors, toddlers, among those treated for bad trips. That's right. You heard me. Seniors, toddlers who get their little hands on either auntie, uncles, or mom or dad's edible products. Now, with recreational as well as medical marijuana now legal here in Michigan, hospitals in the western part of the state are seeing a small jump in patients, including seniors seeking treatment for the infamously super-powered after-effects of eating too much cannabis and foods like brownies. That's right. From November 2018 to July 2020, the number of patients diagnosed with edible cannabis toxicity at several hospitals grew from around zero a month to more than 10. Nine of the patients were hospitalized, according to the study, published last month in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. It would be speculative to say that people are using it frequently. But we don't know how else people can get, emergency rooms can get to an increase in numbers of visits if there wasn't some sort of change in use within the community. Michigan voters supported the legislation of recreational marijuana in 2018, and the state began to allow legal sales in December 2019. Now, you know what? With this, I have to say I did not vote for this because for number one, where do we mostly see Um, weed dispensaries located at. Do you see them in the suburbs? Mm -mm, You don't. You see them in underserved areas, the inner city. That's where you can see the dispensaries at. You know, me and a friend drove down Eight Mile Road here in Detroit. And we counted all of the dispensaries on every block, one side to another. And for me, how do you know what what they are putting in their product? What additives? You know, I tell you, this is how I think. Um, how do you know what they're putting in medical marijuana? You know, at one point in time, 
there was the weed man. But now the states have knocked out the weed man and the states have become the weed man. So how do you know exactly what they are putting in this so-called medical marijuana? I'm just curious. You know, you may not have known what the weed man put in it, but I just don't. I just don't agree with them. You know, I'm not saying I don't agree with what or if anybody that's in my listening audience, if you do it, that's your prerogative. You know, that's your right to do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about locating dispensaries in underserved communities where they don't even have um, a viable supermarket, but you have a weed dispensary in the neighborhood. You don't have um, quality restaurants, but you have a weed dispensary in the neighborhoods. So that's what I'm talking about to each his own on what you do. You know, I'm not talking about that, but Anytime the government has their hand into something, I just wonder, you know, what are you putting in it? But you can place your dispensaries in underserved communities where um, you're going to keep people broke. It's and in most underserved communities, there is a high rate of crime. So just think about it. And for my older listeners, if this is what you do, fine. But I can see if you have cancer and it helps with the pain. You know, I can see all of that. But for my recreational users that are 60 and 70 years old, and I do know some people 60 and 70 who do partake in in weed. And I asked them, why do you wait till you get old as dirt to spend the majority of your social security check before you pay your bills on weed. I'm just asking because I'm curious. I am truly curious. Now, excuse me, for the study, Lewis and colleagues track diagnosis for cannabis toxicity at seven hospitals including a children's, excuse me, hospital. These facilities evaluated 909 patients for the condition, 17.1% of whom reported using so-called edibles. By month, the number of cases involving edibles rose steadily from the end of 2018 when recreational cannabis could not be sold legally. 
through July 2020 when it reached 12. The study also found that ER diagnosis for inhaled cannabis toxicity soared over the same period from fewer than 20 a month in November 2018 to 70 in July of 2020. Now, marijuana users are often surprised by edibles' potency, especially if they eat more because they don't understand that it may take an hour for a psychotropic effect to kick in. In 2014, New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd famously wrote about what happened when she ate a cannabis chocolate bar in Colorado, which had recently legalized recreational pot. She landed in a painting, paranoid, hallucinatory state for eight hours. She stated, I strained to remember where I was or even what I was wearing, touching my green corduroy jeans and staring at the exposed brick wall. As my paranoia deepened, I became convinced that I had died and no one was telling me. Dowd was mocked online for not knowing better. In the Michigan study, mean age for the 155 cases involving edibles was 30 and a half, ranging from 1 to 82. A total of 16 were 65 or older, while nine were younger than 12 years old. My God. At least 15 said they eaten cannabis accidentally. There was a larger proportion of younger children and senior citizens that would come in after an edible exposure versus those who had inhalation cannabis toxicity. Researchers got information about the type of product ingested from 147 patients, baked goods, including brownies and cookies, 44.9%, candy and gum, 27.9%, and beverages, 11.6%. Nearly 8% ate raw marijuana, such as buds and joints, and 2% consume cannabis resin. The symptoms of the nine patients who were hospitalized included pneumonia, delirium, um, and altered mental status. Now, but some patients 
have had to be intubated. That's right. Some patients had to be intubated. And cannabis consumption can be dangerous in very young children. Their mental status can be more altered because of their weight, and they may experience respiratory depression. Last year, a study examined 2,567 admissions at a Colorado hospital involving cannabis use from 2012 to 2016 with 9% connected to edibles. Visits attributable to edible cannabis were more likely to be due to acute psychiatric symptoms, intoxication, and cardiovascular symptoms. Wow. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Richard Clark, MD, Chief Toxicologist, at the University of California, San Diego, informed MedPage today that it's common to see tourists who head to the ED after eating too much edible cannabis. People come into California, see, we've got legal marijuana and want to try it. For them, edibles are the perfect option. Then it kicks in, and they have almost a panic reaction, he stated, sometimes with high heart rates, nausea, and vomiting. In extreme cases, physicians may give them IV fluids or sedative. Typically, the patients feel better in two to three hours. Toddlers who accidentally eat cannabis may have convulsions, seizures, and he states that this is rare. Whatever, whatever the case, there is no antidote. So, what are your thoughts on the edibles? Let me know. Call in. Leave me a message. Like I state, it's just my opinion. You never know. Anytime, oh, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to be perfectly blunt and honest with you. Anytime the government or the state has their hands into something, you don't know what they're putting in it. Just like you don't know what dispensaries put in their edibles, their weed, or whatever, people. Wake up. Wake up, my people in underserved communities. They place the dispensaries in the areas for a reason. So wake up. Stay with me. I'll be right back. All right, everybody, it's that time for me, but I do want to um, let you know that this 
if you are in the metropolitan Detroit area, Highland Park, um, surrounding area, I will be feeding the homeless and providing clothing to the homeless through my foundation, the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation. Um, guys, I wish you would um, please go over to the foundation. You can read about my father, my mother, and you can find out a little bit more about me. You can go over to the foundation at https colon forward slash forward slash cemphfoundation.com. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization who believes in extending a helping hand rather than pointing a finger. So me, along with a group of us, several more people, colleagues um, of mine that, you know, seen what I was doing, heard about what I was doing via the podcast, via social media, and said they wanted to join in and help also. But I would truly appreciate it if you guys would go over to the website and, you know, read a little bit about where I come from. And also, I am asking um, if you would go over to my story, livingwithlupus.com website and peruse around in our store um, which benefits the Charlie E and Minnie P Hendrix Foundation 100% of the sales from the store goes directly to the foundation to help um, those that are in need um, be it homeless be it those who suffer from chronic illness we um have over through the year we have been in existence for one year we have fed those families who have loved ones with chronic illness we have provided medication um we have provided kids last year um, schools in Detroit with um, classroom supplies so that if a child who family could not afford it we provided it for them so I'm asking you please go over to my story living with lupus.com website peruse the store please make a purchase to support the efforts of the foundation in providing um 
what families need during this time. You know, um, it is especially hard during this time for not only um, families who are dealing with a loved one with a chronic illness, but everyone, but we are truly in need of your support. And if you cannot be of support financially to the foundation, we understand we're still here to help you guys um, in your time of need. So please go over to the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation at HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash CEMPHfoundation.com and also visit my story livingwithlupus.com website visit the store help support the foundation 100% of the sales go to the foundation to help purchase medication food clothing and um whatever is needed um, for families who are suffering from chronic illness and also to help those that are homeless. Um, We also have a Christmas giveaway for the ladies. If you are interested in receiving a 100% human hair lace frontal unit if you have loss of hair due to lupus alopecia or cancer all you have to do is send in an email stating why you are deserving of this unit or if you would like to nominate someone tell your story you can send it to info at cemphfoundation.com. That's the email address. Info at cemphfoundation.com. And you can use the hashtag Lace Frontal Unit Giveaway. And for the men, I haven't forgotten about you. For this Christmas, we are giving away the foundation a $50 Visa gift card. That's right. $50 Visa gift card. All you have to do is submit or nominate someone who is deserving of this gift card. Send it in at info at cemphfoundation.com hashtag visa gift card. So I have a full weekend. I have um, by the time you listen to this um, Thursday, um, as some of you may know, I had a real bad um flare when I went to see my cardiologist and they had to call the rheumatologist and I 
had an appointment on Thursday also. I have another appointment on Friday. And then coming up next week, I have an appointment with a new specialist on Tuesday. And after that, I have to make an appointment to see my oncologist because I have a little issue with my blood. And also, Dr. Patricia Dar is coming up on November the 22nd, I do believe. I will let you know. But I will leave the um, info and everything in the description box of this podcast. So like I said, if you're able to help out, fine. If not, I understand the foundation is still here to assist. And before I go, I would like to leave you with this. I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. I'm Susan Hendricks, your host for my story, Living with Lupus Podcast. Have a most peaceful, safe, and oh-so-blessed weekend. I'll see you next Friday.